Good morning, and welcome to the Cyber Smart Morning News Update. With the always evolving world of cyber threats and defense, you need a source you can trust. FBI retired Special Agent Darren Mott guides you through today's intricate cyber landscape and brings you the latest headlines and insights and what it means to you. Let's dive into today's cyber news. Good morning, friends. It is Wednesday, October 18th, 2023. This is the Cyber Smart Morning News Update. I am your host, retired FBI Supervisory Special Agent Darren Mott. I'm going to get right into the news without any extraneous talking because there's quite a few articles and I had to cut a few out because I just would not have been able to do this in the 15 minutes or less I'm shooting for. So we're going to get right into the first one. This is from uh, cybernews.com, Paulina Okino. Okunte reporting, Californian IT company leaks private mobile phone data. Hundreds of thousands of clients, 820,000 to be exact, who opted in for a screen warranty were exposed when DNA Micro leaked data from its systems. The cyber news research team found that DNA Micro, a California-based IT company, exposed the sensitive data of more than 820,000 customers due to a misconfiguration in its systems. The victims most affected by the day leak were those using the services of DNA Micro's subsidiary company, Instaprotec, which provides a screen warranty service. Other companies affected by the leak included screen protectors and phone case manufacturers such as Liquipel and Otterbox, which use the warranty service. Now, my guess is, well, before I get to that, my guess is the leaked information includes full names, addresses, phone numbers, email addresses, warranty claim status, phone models, purchase date, international mobile equipment identity, the IMEI number, um, store from which the item was purchased and the cell carrier. Um, the leak is hazardous as threat actors could potentially attack individual devices now and disrupt their services. So this kind of goes again to this whole thing about third-party data leak, right? Because so you know, it's the it's DNA micro data, but they didn't release it. It was a misconfiguration on a third or actually. Um, I'm sorry, DNA Micro was the bad one. So, but I'm talking liquid. Um, the the companies in, impacted Otterbox, Liquipel, and Instaprotec were be were impacted because of this this poor misconfiguration. Just goes to show that it, I mean, uh, cybersecurity is a people problem largely, not so much um, a technology problem. Although technology is obviously part of it. So you can read more about this. There's some that shows some. Uh, information on uh, the Kibana instance that was to blame for this. Um, the total amount of data was 81 gigabytes. And so having the IMEI number is probably the biggest problem there simply because that's going to allow for a whole host of phone takeovers, SIM swapping, stuff like that. So bad things probably coming from this down the line. It says 820,000. My guess is that number is going to rise as the weeks go on. From the, hey, how about that? A good news story article. This is from Krebs on Security. Uh, the Brian Krebs obviously reporting. Amir Goldestan, a 40-year-old CEO of a Charleston, South Carolina-based technology company, Mikefo LLC, has been sentenced to five years in prison for wire fraud. Goldestan's sentencing comes nearly two years after he pleaded guilty to using an elaborate network of phony companies to secure more than 735,000 IP addresses from Aaron, the nonprofit which oversees IP addresses assigned to entities in the U.S., Canada, and parts of the Caribbean. Um, his case caught the attention of federal prosecutors who filed a criminal wire charge fraud against Goldston in 2019 after he allegedly orchestrated, well, they alleged, and now clearly he did if he, con he confessed, he orchestrated a network of shell companies and fake identities to prevent Aaron from knowing the addresses uh, were all going to the same buyer. Now, my question here is, what was the point of this? I 
do not know. That's a good question. Oh, I see what the point was. So the the point was prosecutors estimated the addresses were valued between 10 million and 14 million. So he got the IP address and then sold them separately under the same entity, which I guess you cannot do. So probably did some spam out of it too. Um, so, hey, chalk one up for the good guys there. Some bad guy going to jail. All right, from dark reading and the, hey, I guess I predicted that kind of uh, news story. If you remember yesterday, I talked about Cisco's iOS XE being compromised and there being no or having a, a vulnerability that was exploitable uh, and there was no patch. Well, they're now being compromised. Just a day after Cisco disclosed CVE 2023-2198, it remains unpatched. And one vendor says a shadow, a Shodan scan shows at least 10,000 Cisco devices with an implant for arbitrary code execution on them. The vendor, meanwhile, has updated the advisory um, with more mitigation steps. So, there's ways you can get around it, but this this is going to be a large, large problem as long as this unpatched bug continues. So look for this to continue. This, this article does say they're guessing that this Cisco owning or pwning is likely coming from a single threat actor, maybe now, but there's going to be other threat actors that utilize this vulnerability to try to get into networks and, and overtake these devices. So bad things coming for Cisco down the line. Now, will Cisco go out of business for this? No, everybody, everybody survives. From the, hey, who didn't see that coming? Uh, uh, sorry, uh, files. From bleepingcomputer.com, Ionit Elaskew reporting over 40,000 admin portal accounts use admin as a password. Again, a people problem. Security researchers found that IT administrators are using tens of thousands of weak passwords to pr protect access to portals, leaving the door open to cyber attacks on enterprise networks. Out of more than 1.8 million administrator credentials analyzed, over 40,000 entries were admin, showing the default password is widely accepted by IT administrators. The authentication data was collected between January and September of this year through Threat Compass, a threat intelligence solution from cybersecurity company Outpost 24. Outpost 24 says the authentication credentials came from information stealing malware, which typically targets applications that store usernames and passwords. So this is where credential stuffing becomes very easy. And uh, there's a list here of the top 20 of the weakest authentication credentials. You can probably guess a whole bunch of them. Sure, admin number one, then there's one, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and so on. They're all stupid. So again, if you can't change, if you're not smart enough as an IT manager or IT administrator to change the default password, you're asking to get hacked and who's going to feel sorry for you? I don't think anybody. From the yeah, no kidding, files. This is from cyberscoop.com. Rebecca Hilewell and Tanya Riley reporting. Federal agencies are falling behind on meeting key privacy goals set five years ago. Wow, who's shocked to hear that headline? Several federal agencies are playing catch up on meeting recommendations from NIST detailed in a 2018 framework of how governments should incorporate privacy in their risk management strategies. Nearly five years ago, after standards were established for how federal agencies should incorporate privacy concerns into their risk management strategies, many have still failed to do so, illustrating the major hurdles the U.S. government faces in safely collecting and storing a wide range of personal data and relates to everything from people's healthcare information to national security. So certainly we should put the requirements and the um, ideas and strategy behind cybersecurity in the government, which can't even keep track of their own requirements. So you can read more. I'm not going to read any more of this. You know where it's going. It's just a bunch of 
people who can't do what they're supposed to do. The federal government is bloated. They don't know what they're doing. They have people in place who don't know what they're doing. If you're in the federal government and you know what you're doing, you are going to the private sector quickly. And that's why the federal government has all these issues. So go over, this is actually a fairly lengthy article. Um, and you can go, you can go see more about it. There's certainly a lot of data in this. So it's, it's a pretty good research article, um, but it does not exactly give you the warm and fuzzy that our government is really doing their best for all of us. Uh, these next couple are more um, just for an awareness kind of perspective. Actually, I'm going to hold off on this last two because they kind of go together. So from infosecuritymagazine.com, healthcare sector warned about a new ransomware group called No Escape, James Coker reporting. The healthcare sector has been warned about a formidable new ransomware as a service group called No Escape, which is believed to be a rebrand of the Russian threat actor Abaddon. The group emerged in May 2023, has unique features and aggressive multi-extortion tactics, according to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services uh, and the Health Sector Cybersecurity Coordination Center advisory. That's a mouthful right there. No Escape has so far been observed to target organizations operating in the professional services, manufacturing, and information industries. Its indiscriminate targeting of the healthcare and private, I'm sorry, public health sector is a worrisome sign that more organizations in this field could soon be targeted. Could, they will be. That I mean, you're hearing it here first, that there's going to be more of these ransomware from the No Escape group hitting healthcare simply because as we've said a lot, you know, oftentimes the problem with cybersecurity is it doesn't make you money. It costs you money. Uh, and healthcare works on a very thin margin. Uh, and so they're more focused, obviously, as they should be on patient care and, and keeping people alive. Um, and sometimes, and obviously cybersecurity falls to the wayside. When no escape infiltrates a network, the ransomware leaves a note on the victim's computer, which states their system has been infected by them. The note serves as a communication channel with specified steps to engage with the, I mean, that's, I don't even know what that's, that paragraph said. That's how all ransomware works. Um, the amount of ransomware ranges from hundreds of thousands of dollars to 10 million. Um, so uh, that's more of an advisory that ransomware is coming. So if you are in healthcare, Find someone to help you understand these threats and how to at least get in front of um, less, lowering your risk so you don't become a victim. All right, these next two um, are more uh, opinion-based, but it, the, this one was kind of interesting based on what's going on in the Middle East. This is from CSOonline.com. Um, this is an opinion piece by Christopher Burgess. How the Hamas-Israeli conflict puts CIS, or CISOs on the spot. Conflicts have had a digital component since before the beginning of the century, but they by the com um, oh, be they by the combatants or their sympathizers. The recent heinous attack on Israel by the Hamas terrorist group was no exception. These actions highlight the need for CISOs, especially those with entities in Israel, to flex their backup infrastructure and business continuity plans, look for new threats, and to be engaged. And this is really the key, and I think I said this um, previously, that if you are in cybersecurity and you have entities or, or you have anything associated with Israel or um, Hamas or Gaza or any of that stuff in the Middle East, you need to be on, on uh, prepared for being targeted by hacktivists. This is going to be a lot of denial of service attacks. There's going to be a lot of website defacements. It's going to be a whole lot of be ransomware that will be thrown in just for kicks and giggles because the ransomware actors will see an opportunity to piggyback in on what the hacktivists are doing. So especially within key infrastructure. Now, obviously, this article focuses on Israeli infrastructure, which is important, but you're going to have entities and, and other countries that may support one side or the other, and then the hacktivists on the other side will then target them. So 
if you're a CISO, this is a very important time to understand the threats targeting you and assess your risk. If you have not done that, you need to go through everything and take a look. Okay, where does this? Where do we fall in this conflict, and how are we going to protect ourselves from becoming victims of these hacktivist activities that are just going to become more more engaged as the conflict rolls on? And the last one I'm hitting on just because it's something I comment on on LinkedIn a lot. Uh, there's certain people on LinkedIn that would be mad if I didn't note this particular article from malwarebytes.com. This is by Pierce Arntz. The U.S. wants governments to commit to not paying ransom. So, okay. As the White House prepares to host its annual International Counter Ransomware Initiative Summit. Oh, that'll be a, be a bar burner. Bloomberg reports that the U.S. is pushing other countries to stop paying ransoms to cyber criminals. The CRA wants to enhance international cooperation to combat the growth of ransomware and its 47 members will convene in Washington for its annual summit on October 31st. White House National Security Advisor Ann Newberger said ransomware payments bans have been a topic of discussion among members of the CRI, and she noted that several other countries also raised the issue, but no decisions have made. No decisions have been made because this you cannot you can do it. You can say don't pay the ransom, but all that's going to do is create an underground infrastructure of entities that allow companies who need to pay the ransom to be able to pay the ransom. So I understand the argument that if you fund ransomware, you are funding the criminals that will continue to do what they're doing. Absolutely. If the U.S. stopped paying ransomware tomorrow, no one ever paid it ever again. There are 200 other countries where people are paying the ransom. Russia doesn't care. I mean, the Russian actors don't care. They will continue on and they will find new ways around it. Um, and so I get that the U.S. wants governments to commit to not paying it, but it's going to be like the 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 climate change stuff. We commit to lowering greenhouse gases, but no one ever does or doesn't do it enough. So, I mean, this is a silly, silly topic that keeps coming up. Um, you're never going to get a hundred percent compliance with not paying ransoms. Um, your better bet is sanctions on countries that house ransomware actors. That's the way to go, but no one's listening to me, but that's just my two cents on that. With that, that's the news. All these articles are listed in the show notes. If you want to read more of them, there's more in these articles. I'm just kind of giving you the, the highlight view of them. As always, I thank you for taking the time to download and listen to the CyberSmart Morning News Update. Know that knowledge is protection. If we can understand the threats targeting us, we can assess our risk, proceed wisely. As always, you can find me on a host of different social media platforms, LinkedIn, Instagram, Substack, so on and so forth. Thanks. Have a great Wednesday. We will talk again tomorrow. CyberSmart Morning News is written and produced by CyberGuy Productions. Feel free to email thoughts, comments, or suggestions to Darren at thecyberguy.com or follow Darren on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash in slash Darren Mott. Thanks for listening.